Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level, the show formerly called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And today we're going to take a little bit of an entrepreneurial slant back on the show because I have with me Todd Connor. And Todd does a lot of things. He's a serial entrepreneur. He started a lot of companies and he has a new book coming out called Third Shift Entrepreneur because Todd believes that we can take the risk out of starting your own business by doing it as a side hustle, starting it on the side while you still have a job. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but I want to learn a lot more about Todd. So Todd, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thanks, Tom. Great to be with you. So give me a little bit about your background. What did, what did Todd do after college and uh, career-wise? What's your path? Yeah, so my path is, you know, uh, went to school in the Midwest here and uh, Chicago, where I'm from, uh, joined the ROTC program, served in the Navy for a few years, uh, got out of the Navy, came back to Chicago, went to business school, and then uh, landed a management consulting job. And, you know, that was sort of a good and clean path for me. But um, uh, what I found for myself was having arrived at that place, which I think on paper, you know, looked good and looked complete. I felt a sense of, you know, unfulfillment. Um, and I think, you know, particularly when you've been in the military and you've worn the uniform, you know what it means to get up in the morning and feel like you're part of something that's bigger than yourself. You're, you're part of a, a mission, purpose-driven work. Even though there are frustrating days, you know that there's something sort of larger at stake and you feel like you're being tested to your full potential. And, you know, my experience working in a more conventional environment was just, I just didn't feel that same thing, Tom. And uh, I knew that I wanted to get back to that place um, not necessarily to join the military again, but to really find myself in an environment where I could test my capabilities. I could move as fast as I wanted to. I could, you know, you know, suffer the risk, but also suffer the reward of, you know, my own potential. And so that for me, the translation for that was entrepreneurship and starting my own business and stepping out on my own. And, and it is for a lot of people um, who uh, I've worked with in my life. And so, that was the genesis of my story in terms of starting businesses. Uh, I started a management consulting business, did a couple other things, started a couple of nonprofits, and then started a organization in 2014 called Bunker Labs, which uh, helps military veterans and spouses start their own businesses. And um, that organization has grown the last six years. We've got chapters now in 35 cities across the country. We're working with about 2,000 uh, entrepreneurs on an active basis every single year. Um, and, and that's really, you know, all my thinking and the, and the research I've done, the, uh, the observation I've done from people and how they start things is what has informed this book, The, the Third Shift Entrepreneur. So, first of all, thank you for your service. Appreciate that. And then, uh, you know, I kind of can relate to a lot of that. While I didn't serve in the military, you know, I did work. My first couple jobs out of college were with entrepreneurial ventures, working for really small kind of, you know, employee number three type things. And uh when I later went to large corporate America, I was disenchanted. I was used to being part of something where I mattered and I wasn't just a cog in the wheel. And there wasn't this whole feel of like office politics where if you talk to your boss's boss, somehow you did something wrong. I mean, I worked for little companies. Everybody had to talk to everybody every single day. And so I went through sort of that long 
channel of feeling like my ladder was against the wrong wall. And I actually did pretty well in corporate America. When I got up to the higher levels of the ladder, I looked around and said, yeah, this isn't what I want to do. So uh, 11 and a half years ago, I went to work for myself. Uh, I did it exactly as you probably teach in this new book in the fact that I did it while I was working full time. I started my speaking business uh, on the side with the permission of my boss. In fact, she yeah. recruited me away from a big bank to come be the marketing director for her, her consulting company, which had about 120 employees. She recruited me into her company with the thing saying, look, we all know that you wanna write books and go speak. So she said, why don't you be my marketing director for like three years? And we'll all know that that's what you're gonna do. She goes, I need what you bring to the table and you need flexibility. So she actually gave me, as part of the contract, she paid me a little less, but she gave me three weeks extra days off. They weren't vacation. I couldn't take them to go travel the world. But if I had a speaking gig, I was free to go 15 days a year. However, I had to be on call the whole time. Uh, and it worked out great for like a year and a half, two years. And then the recession hit and she had to lay off half of her employees and I was in that group. And so one day I found myself uh, uh, no longer doing third shift entrepreneur, but I was full-time entrepreneur and uh, just went after it. So doing it on the yeah. side was great and it gave me a little foundation, but I also found there comes a part where it's good that you get kicked out of the nest. So is there some push pushback to what you're talking about if someone's working for a company that maybe they'll never take the leap to what they really dream of? Well, there's a lot that you just shared there, Tom, that I love um, for a variety of reasons. The first thing is that um, I think we assume that our employers are, um, are really linear in their own thinking. And oftentimes we don't explore these kind of creative alternative pathways towards getting closer to the thing that we ultimately want to be doing. And so in your case, it was this desire to be a public speaker and, and your, your employer's willingness to kind of say, hey, we see your potential for that and even your aspiration for that. Um, we don't need to sort of let you go. We can kind of help shape your environment to be uh, aligned in such a way that you can do what you really care about, right? Which I think good employers want. I mean, they want us doing the work that we were built to do. And so I think that that concept, I call it stepping into our internship, but this kind of designing the environment around us within the construct of our job to get us closer to that thing that we ultimately want to be doing on our own is a really smart strategy. And, you know, it's funny because everyone, as you did, Tom, prefaces their own story by saying, you know, I did something kind of weird. But when you start hearing these stories in aggregate and you're going, wow, well, hundreds of, of people have actually done the quote unquote weird thing. There might be a pattern here as to how this is, is this, this can be done repeatedly. And that, that is really, again, what informs my thinking around this idea of third shift entrepreneur. Um, I think that employers are um, thinking differently, particularly with the pressures of COVID and, you know, uh, the business disruption that people are experiencing. I think humans are thinking differently about their own careers and saying, look, I, life is too short. I, I can't go to work feeling unfulfilled. Um, fulfillment is what I'm after. Fulfillment is what I'm preaching for people, which is not that you are, um, you know, uh, can't get a job. I mean, a lot of people are starting, you know, from a place of economic security, but they're trying to negotiate within themselves. You know, should I just settle for this? I should be happy with what I have. I should be just grateful for having a job. And that's true. Um, but I don't want people to ignore that sort of whispering uh, ambition that might be within them to say, you know, but I really know that I have this passion for this other thing. And, you know, I think we find ourselves in this negotiation within ourselves of, should I just let that go? Is that, you know, is that useful thinking? Is that yesterday's dream? Or is there in fact a path forward? 
And my argument is there can be a path forward, not if we present it as this kind of win or lose scenario, this kind of boom or bust thinking, this idea of, you know, huge risk and huge reward. But if we instead think of this as a set of micro movements, uh, strategic, small tests, things that we can do from where we're at to kind of move us incrementally closer to that dream. And, you know, you've done that in your own life and I've done that in my life and I've seen it in other people's lives as well. And so there is a way to do that. And, you know, you, you joke or I joke, um, but this is true to your story as well. You know, sometimes in that process, right, sometimes we jump off the cliff because we realize, hey, there's something here and let's go for it. But we have this kind of evidence that's telling us there's opportunity, right? We don't, we're getting signals that says, yeah, there's a real opportunity here. And so we, we take the leap and then sometimes we get pushed, you know, sometimes we get kicked off the cliff and um, because, you know, things are downsized or there's shifts in the economy, right? And in and, and either place, we can kind of reclaim that, that desire to, to, to find that fulfillment. But um, I want to see more people doing that. So you bring up the fact that, you know, things are changing a lot with COVID. I just had a, a conversation with someone who works for a large manufacturing company and they're looking at shrinking their footprint because they're finding that, oh, people can work from home and everything else. However, they had changed their footprint because they wanted everybody to be able to collaborate. So they wanted everybody in one spot. So they had brought a bigger building and brought everybody in. But my question is, is that, you know, right now we're, a lot of people are making predictions about the changes from COVID, but we're only six months in to what mm -hmm. is probably going to be about a two year uh, bump in the road. And the economy hasn't even seen the hit. Right. We, we, we took an early hit. We bounced back. But a lot of the government money that was given to employers also said you can't lay anyone off for six months. Well, guess what just happened? We're just started. The first people who got money are just hitting six months. And what did the big airlines do? They laid off 30,000 people this week. So I think we're about to see sort of a lot of shifts that people aren't expecting, whether you work for yourself or you work for a company, which is going to bring a lot of instability. And the one thing I found was because I already had my side business when I got laid off, it, there was a foundation there that I could build on. So it's almost like doing what you're saying, even if it never becomes your full time job, it's a it's a barrier to you like being laid off one day and being at the starting gate. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this is, look, if you are um, uh, a em employee today uh, and you are nervous about where the economy is headed, or frankly, even if you're a job seeker, my advice for everyone is, you know, make yourself a, a business, you know, go and approach the market as if you are your own free agent, because that will serve you um, it, it, towards getting a job that will make you more valuable to your employer today. Um, you don't need to surrender your brand, your talent, your identity to your employer. I think that put, makes you vulnerable, right? And so, I, I tell people, look, if I'm if I'm an employer and I'm looking at a you know five resumes of smart people, but then here's a sixth resume of someone that is out in the world actively sort of working to solve you know my mar the kinds of marketing challenges that we're trying to hire someone to solve. I have you know that person jumps to the front of the line because they are you know out there as an entrepreneur. So I think starting your own business, quote unquote, and it doesn't have to be sophisticated. It, you know, you might get an LLC, you might just lead with a brand. You might just be on LinkedIn with a point of view. That kind of thinking, I think, makes you more attractive to employers, makes you more relevant uh, in the marketplace. And then, you know, I think the other thing I would say for, for employers is, you know, as we go through this disruption, I'd like to see employers and employees having more transparent conversations. There are employees I'm speaking to employers now in the C-suite. There are employees in your workforce who would 
prefer to have flexibility in their schedule and would be willing, you know, and this is the conversation you had, Tom, previously, would be willing to sort of work for, for less salary if they could sort of engineer other elements of their job, right? And so I hate to see employers make assumptions about what it is that the employees want and vice versa. Let's have those transparent conversations because my guess is that in a lot of instances, you know, employees will meet the employer, you know, halfway around the economic constraints that they have. They might be willing to shift their jobs towards things that feel more relevant for what the employer needs, for what the company needs. And, you know, that kind of transparent conversation to shift the roles to be a little bit different, um, re-scoped in some ways, I think in the best of case, you know, scenario uh, gives the employer what it needs to sort of move forward and, and also gives the employee what, what they're hoping for, right? Short-term as well as long-term for their own careers and aspirations. So there's a couple things there I, I want to back up and, and, and unpack. And one of those things was you were talking about sort of becoming your own brand. So I've been a big believer in creating a personal brand for a long time. One of the things that I do is I, I coach lawyers on how to build their business on business development. I was the business development director for five years for two what are called AmLaw 100 law firms for their Austin and Dallas offices. And so I, it's just a weird little niche that I had, I had experience in. I was in legal marketing and I have continued now for, even though I've been out of it for 15 years, I've continued to coach lawyers on that. And the thing I teach them is do not hide behind the brand on the wall. You know, mm-hmm. lawyers are they're entrepreneurs. They don't know it. Nobody ever told them that, but they're based on the business they bring in. It's all their sales. So they have to create that that sort of personal brand. And that's something that I did in my own career as a marketing person. When I worked for the law firm, I treated the, the marketing department for Austin and Dallas as if I was an outside consultant. Now, I was paid a nice salary. I had to follow all the corporate rules, but I treated it like it was my business. And so I, I sort of marketed, I would write like little internal like, marketing tips for lawyers, leave them in their chairs. I'd go around after hours and leave them on people's desk. And so I had like my own internal marketing. And on my one year anniversary, I met with all the partners. And I said, if I was an outside consultant, would you renew my contract for another year? I mean, I'm an employee, so that's not the way it works, but would you do that? And I remember one of the partners looked at me and started laughing and he goes, you would never ask a question of all of us that you didn't know the answer to. And so they had liked sort of the way I did that. But the flip side was a competitive law firm actually called my bosses and complained because I was doing things like I was the MC of the Chamber of Commerce dinner. Now, they asked me to do that because I had the skill where I could stand up on stage and, you know, be funny and, and run the show. It wasn't because I was the marketing director of a big law firm. And the other law firm said we never would have let a non lawyer be the host of the Chamber of Commerce dinner. And they were like complaining, thinking somehow because we were a sponsor and therefore we got the speaking gig, which wasn't true. We were not a sponsor. The chamber called me and said, would you host this thing? And I talked to my partners about it and they laughed and they go, that's why their firm will never grow. They loved the fact that I was out doing networking and had my own brand in the community. However, they weren't my bosses at the time, weren't the norm. And I've been out of corporate America on a daily basis for 11 years. Do you really think that most executives want their employees to have their own brand? Mm-hmm. Right. I know it's funny because um, having your own brand is uh, the ultimate hedge on, and, and not just your own brand. I want to be clear on this, but your own skill set. You know, it wasn't just that you were cultivating your own brand, it's that you were actually helping the attorneys 
get better in terms of building and marketing their own business. Oh, and I mean, literally, like sometimes other law firms would say, you know, he's too visible in the community and they go, that's funny. Our lawyers are out practicing law and he's out drumming up business. You know, it's like, the, yeah, my, my, law, my partners thought it was a great thing that I was out doing it. Yeah, of course. Right. And, and that's just it. It's, it's like because you're seeing your role as being uh, bigger and broader. And frankly, I think most companies, they want to see, it, you know, like colleagues that are able to express their own ambition, their own desire to serve, like fulfill their their role within the community, within their own broader networks in ways that are authentic and 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 in ways that are aligned to what they want to do and where they want to go in life. And I think all of that attribution comes back to the company uh, as value, right? But and Todd, here's a, here's, a, here's a complaint I hear when I work with professional services firms, law firms, accounting firms, et cetera. I'll meet with the associates and I'll say, what's your biggest complaint? And they say, the partners don't give me the freedom to do this type of thing. Then I meet with the partners and I say, what's your biggest complaint? And they say, the associates don't take any initiative to go do these things. So that communication is still existing. A communication gap is still existing out there. Yeah, it does. You know, what's interesting though, I was speaking with um, a group of um, consultants at Deloitte and um, was giving a talk there. And I asked sort of as an introductory uh, question, um, you know, tell me what you do. Right. Sort of professional, like opening question. Just tell me what you do. And what was interesting, Tom, is I think there's a generational shift that is occurring because, um, you know, I am 42. But asking this group of uh, consultants, most of whom are in their late 20s. And then there were some senior partners that were there as well. Um, they most of them gave two answers. They said, well, you know, at Deloitte, I do this. I'm focused, you know, I'm thinking I do tax and audit. Um, but, you know, and not even but and. I am, you know, organizing this, um, you know, this initiative in my neighborhood, or I also have this startup that is doing this thing. And it's funny because I sat there listening to, to uh, many of these consultants sort of introduce themselves with these dual professional identities. And I would not have ever done that. You know, it's, you know, 15 years ago, I would have thought, oh, gosh, I, I don't want to admit I'm doing something else because I think my employer is going to look at that as being disloyal. And, and frankly, um, the partner listening to what some of these young folks were doing, um, I, I want to say one woman had like a wine of the month club and she would organize, you know, people and, you know, ship them out wine and then they would get on and have a conversation about it. And like those those colleagues stood out as being really interesting and distinctive and having more leadership competency and having more initiative. Right. So instead of that sort of idea that, oh, you're doing something else, therefore you are disloyal or distracted, I think it was at a place like Deloitte viewed as like, that's really interesting. And that's the kind of initiative and leadership capability that we want to ultimately groom. And so, you know, there is this kind of like new world thinking, old world thinking, but I think we're moving towards that direction of appreciating people that are doing interesting things in the world. It makes, it makes for a better client conversation. It makes for a better uh, kind of sense of innovation within the firm, you know, the, the liability in my view is people that just stay at one company sort of stay heads down, you know, just at the task that they have at hand, you know, that's a sort of a, a time bomb against being obsolete that isn't helpful for the employee and isn't frankly, you know, helpful for the employer. And I think more companies are waking up to that fact. So Todd, I've got a couple more questions for you before I let you go. But first I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to make sure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting 
and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Todd Connor. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Todd, we're talking about, you know, sort of this culture shift about, you know, companies being more open to the new lifestyle and, and things that are happening, you know, with, with COVID and people working from home. What do you think the long-term effects of this are going to be for the businesses, for the the big, big employers? Because our company's still set up. I mean, our country is still set up for these big employers. I mean, I, I work for myself and getting health insurance is impossible and expensive. No matter what anyone tells you, it's a freaking nightmare because I'm a solopreneur and it's just not designed. Our, our society, the, when the, the government loans came out, the PPP loans, if you didn't have employees, they still don't know if they'll forgive those loans. It's like, there's, there's all kinds of things that I am a round square peg trying to go into a round hole. Companies have the lock on the way we live with our health insurance, with our you know commutes, with everything else. What do you think is going to change? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a. Um, I have answers that I would have offered you uh, pre-COVID, um, and then I think the answers are probably accelerated post-COVID. Um, there's a lot of data around this. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, I think, said that uh, by the year 2025, 40 percent of the U.S. workforce would be identified as self-employed and and or contractor, right? So within that definition is solopreneurs, you know, Uber drivers, contract labor, um, and sort of relationships to companies that are not traditional in the sense of, you know, W-2, I'm here for 30 years, HR is going to take care of my career, right? That model is is going away. And some people find that really threatening and anxiety inducing. And some people find that liberating, right? So we all have to sort of come to our own point of view about how we feel about this changing and evolving relationship of employee and employer. I think the regulatory implications are significant. You know, I think, I think the federal government, you know, as it, you know, in my view, hopefully moves in a direction of creating more kind of universal support systems, including healthcare, including um, ensuring our, you know, our social safety net, I think that that level of support is going to be required for people to feel safe in in this more mobile economy. And, and I think a mobile economy can be a wonderful thing if it allows us to sort of pursue our creative potential, continue to learn and upskill ourselves um, to, I think, continue to be more dynamic in terms of our talent and our mobility. That is, I think, healthy for an economy as long as um, we have this, you know, the, the sort of basic safety net established for people, which is, you know, if I, if I have to worry about whether or not I, I get sick, then I'll never leave my job. And then we're operating from this place of fear and scarcity, um, which isn't helpful. Right. But if we feel like we've got, you know, a safety net and support, um, then this mobility in the economy can actually unleash, I think, a greater degree of, of creativity and opportunity. So, those are big questions that I think that there's going to be a policy implication for a set of policy implications for, um, I don't know the answers for all that. I do think that if you're a person working in the United States today, um, it behooves you to think about, you know, if, if I did not have uh, the support of a company, because this is frankly the trend, right? It's, you know, if our old model was, you know, HR is responsible for my promotion financial security and, you know, and well-being, the new thinking has got to be like, I have an, I have to take ownership over my career, my brand, 
my next paycheck. Uh, and if you are if you are leaning into that thinking, I think you can get some great opportunities that, um, frankly, may not be available. If you said, "Look, I'm only looking for you know kind of W two employment," there's going to be companies that are nervous about the state of the economy that might be saying, "Look, we're not eager to go hire W two employees," but but we might be willing to to hire you as a contractor, and you might be able to go get two or three contracts, right? So. So I do think it requires a mindset in terms of how we sh- think about uh, employment today, our own relevance in, in the marketplace. Um, and there will be an upside potential and there will be a downside risk as well. But I think uh, I want to encourage people to sort of see the opportunity in all of this and, and, and prepare themselves for it accordingly. All right. So if someone's listening to this show and, and they want to sort of do this, they want to start their own thing, they, they want to keep their job in, in, in our current times, they're, they're scared. They want to keep their job and they want to start something. Let's give them some brass tacks. Let's let's have this. Let's have some things. What does somebody do who doesn't even know what to do yet? What's the first step? Well, the first step is ask yourself, what are you really good at and what do you really care about? You know, and that sounds like an easy and obvious thing to do. But a lot of people skip this step, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be necessarily what your resume has said previously, you know, that you are good at doing. But, you know, ask yourself these really situational questions, right? So move it from, well, I'm good at marketing to I'm really good at internal employee engagement marketing and particularly around video as opposed to, you know, text, right? I want people to get to that level of granularity where you say, look, in this situation, I, I think I am as good or better than anyone else I know. Because that level of understanding about where you really bring your magic, you know, power is I think the kernel of where you create value for yourself in the marketplace. So you got to do some introspection to say, look, I'm really good at this and I'm really excited about this. Um, and then you got to look at what you're doing currently. Cause you're right, Tom, my advice is not, it, it, and this is, I'm trying to be counter to a lot of the entrepreneurial thinking and language, which is like, take the leap and take the risk. I don't believe in that. I, I believe in staying where you're at, you know, maintain your own financial security, because that gives you ultimately more, more leg room to, to start something. So start from where you're at, do it from a place of security, and then find small ways to sort of manifest that thing that you're really excited about, that thing that you're really good at. And uh, the book that I have uh, coming out in January, uh, it's been pushed back, but January of 20, uh, 2021, Third Shift Entrepreneur, lays out a set of strategies for how do you take those initial you know, soft steps, those micro movements to say, hey, you know, uh, like if you said, you know, Tom, I'm in a marketing role, but I really am great at public speaking and I want to be doing more podcasting. Well, get out there and start a podcast, right? Go be the MC for, for the for the Chamber of Commerce banquet. You know, find yourself uh, doing these opportunities for free that help present to the world your, your marketplace value, right? And then I think that there's this kind of, I don't want to call it cosmic, but we have an obligation to push ourselves to a certain extent. And then we sort of wait for and observe what is the pull? You know, what are people seeing and, and, and pulling us into as a result? And there's this kind of dance that we have to do with the marketplace. But the first thing is know what you really care about, know what you're really good at. Um, and, and that's the, that's the beginning and, and do that, do that introspection. And the, there's a lot of things that you can do following that, but you got to have that figured out first. And, and you hit on something that I, I, I want to go back to, and that is start doing the thing. And the opportunity might come. If you wait for the opportunity to come, it's not going to happen. So I I host another podcast that I'm paid to host for an association. And I've got two others that I'm in negotiation with to be their podcast host. And I was telling this story and somebody called me and said, I want to be a paid podcast host. I didn't even know that was a thing. 
how do I do it? And I said, well, I had done 400 episodes of my show before this association came along and offered me a chance to host their show. And I've done that for a year and a half before the other two are, are in thing. And they go, well, I don't want to wait six years. I want to start now. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know that that's a thing. I don't know that you get to just say, I'm that. It was the fact that I had been doing a podcast and I had had the skills of interviewing people that led them to saying, would you consider this? And I was like, I never thought of it. And now, you know, actually in COVID, it's been like the greatest thing. I don't make a lot of money on it, but it's been consistent income when the speaking yeah. business and the live meetings world went away. Um, you know, the podcasting stuff I was doing all of a sudden was was important. And that's, you know, honestly, Tom, that's how this works, where I say to people, you know, doing is the new resume, right? When you get out there and you're doing wait, it. Wait, wait, I love that. Doing is the new resume. Doing is Boom. the new resume. I don't, I don't need to know that you have certifications or credentials in podcasting or that you've attended, you know, podcasting university of America. It's like, is that I, a thing? <laughs> I know you should start it. You know, it's like, look, I've, I've listened to Tom's podcast. It's great. We need one. He can help us. Right. It's, so it's just that kind of loop that we create with the marketplace. And, um, the key is to start small, know what you're good at, and then take action on it and find small ways to demonstrate sometimes for free that this is what you're really built to do. So Todd Connor, thank you so much for, for being here. If somebody wants to find out more about you or the organizations you're involved with, or heck, the new book that's coming out in January, how do, how do they find Todd Connor? Sure. Go to uh, thirdshiftentrepreneurspelledout.com or uh, check out Bunker Labs. Dot org if you're curious, uh, if you're a military veteran and want to start a business, uh, and then find me on all the social media feeds at Todd Connor. Awesome. Any last words of final, uh, final words of advice for the listening audience? My final advice is this, is move beyond this do or don't thinking. Move beyond the, the binary construct of I either stay safe and unfulfilled or I take some big risk, but maybe find fulfillment. There is a third path. Uh, that is the third shift entrepreneur path. You can take action today and begin to resolve that, that malcontent. And uh, we need your creative potential out there in the world. So please, please get started in some small way. And final words for employers who might be like on the fence about, I don't know if I like this. Employers ought to consider the, the, the hopes and aspirations of their employees. And if they are smart, can find really creative ways to achieve the company's aspirations and objectives. And, and frankly, some of the financial constraints and allow their employees to, to show up as the best version of themselves um, because anything else uh, puts pressure on them in ways that isn't helpful for the employee or the employer. All right. Well, Todd Connor, again, thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody who listened. I say it every single show. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we even do the podcast? So if you like making waves at sea level, do me a favor. Of course, I want you to go subscribe and leave those, you know, five star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast love. But more importantly, go tell a friend because people always tell me they found the show from somebody who recommended it to them. And so your recommendation is worth gold to me. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody who's making waves and is really cool, just like Todd Connor. And you're thinking, how is that possible? But we always find somebody. But in the meantime, go on out there, make sure your career ladder's against the right wall, flex your entrepreneurial muscles. And while you're doing it, have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.